Welcome to the Thriving in the Word podcast. We are so happy to have you listening today, and it's a great conversation that we have as we dig deep in the Word. If you're enjoying the Thriving in the Word podcast, we'd invite you to like it on whichever podcast service you use, leave a comment, a rating, review, even share it on social media. Let your friends and family know about what we're doing here. We hope that you enjoy this edition of Thriving in the Word. Okay, so here we are in week three, talking about the Gospel of John, chapters one through five. And we haven't made a ton of progress because there's just a ton of stuff in here. But let's just open it up. If there's anything that stood out to you as you've been reading through these five chapters here. In the first five chapters, you get the feeling that John is a little bit different than the synoptic Gospels of Mark and Matthew and Luke. I started realizing this yesterday. This really is, what is Jesus? Mm-hmm. It's not as much as who, but what. What right. exactly? John is focusing more on the Messiah as the Messiah identity. And, and he talks a lot, even in these first five chapters, because I haven't read ahead and I know what happens. He talks a lot, the term, com- the phrase comes up a lot, eternal life. Did you guys notice that at all? You will when you read now, because I put it into your heads. Uh, eternal life. He's talking about eternal life. I'll go into you know, a little bit more depth on that. On my, you know, once we get into this a little bit, but this gospel, the more I read it, and I keep focusing on these first five chapters and read it over and over again, and say, okay, I understand they call the others the synoptic gospels, gospels that are similar to each other. John is just he had a different idea here, something that he wanted to touch on that was different than the others. I'll just open it up with that, starting with logos, which is word the word in the beginning was the word or logos and you know the, the word of god or principle was i might have mentioned before divine reason if you read the you know the greek philosophy you know a divine reason or creative order is what logos is the word one thing along with the word is that there's power in words you know an interesting title that you see there in john one because when you reflect back to genesis one the earth and all the universe and everything was created by the spoken word. It shows that there's power there in the word. And we see that all throughout Jesus is a master of words. And one thing I, I want to jump to is chapter four. We see Jesus going through Samaria and he meets the Samaritan woman mm. at the well. And they go through this dialogue of him asking her for a drink, which was pretty unheard of. And it's interesting too that, that he's there at noontime, of course, in that environment. Most people would be collecting water in the morning or at nighttime to prepare for the day, number one, or to close out the day. And also because those were cooler times of the day. So not many people are going to be wanting to go in the middle of the day, which is possibly why this woman was going in the middle of the day, because you know she certainly had a reputation in her community of that wasn't maybe the most wholesome reputation. But Jesus shows up there seemingly randomly, but clearly it wasn't random. And he asked this woman for a drink of water, which, I mean, it catches her off guard. I mean, he says in verse seven, please give me a drink. And in verse nine says, the one was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. So she's shocked that number one, he's talking to a Samaritan. And number two, he's talking to a 
woman Samaritan, mm -hmm. which in that culture would have even been less advisable. That wasn't a good political move for Jesus to make there. So she says, you know, you're a Jew. Why are you asking me for a drink? And then he goes, he turns it around and says, well, if you knew who I was, you'd be asking me for a drink. And they go back and forth. And he's talking about the living water. Where I'm getting at, verse 16, he says, go get your husband. I don't have a husband. He says, yeah, you're right. You've had five husbands. You're not even married to the guy that you're with now. Verse 19, he says, wow, you must be a prophet. And then she asks some, you know, little theological question there. He says, you know, there's a time comes when worship in spirit and in truth. 25, I'm just skipping a lot of stuff here, but I'm getting somewhere. Verse 25, I know he's the Messiah is coming. He'll be called the Christ. Verse 26, what does it say here in verse 26? Then Jesus told her, what does he say? How many times did Jesus say that he was the Messiah? Not many. Not yet. Very few. Very, very few. You let and, everybody draw their own conclusions. Right. Twice, yeah. Like he would say, like, I'm the son of man, or my, my father is God, or people would ask him, he says, well, you've said it yourself. But rarely does he come out clearly and say, I am the Messiah. And who is he saying this to? A Samaritan woman. A Samaritan woman. Right. Who's out here in the middle of nowhere, probably trying to hide from everybody, and he's unveiling. I'm just going to blow the punchline. I'm the Messiah. I'm not going to show you any miracles. I'm just going to tell you plainly. Mm -hmm. Then the disciples come up. They're shocked to find him talking to a woman because, again, this is a bad move on his part. This is the appearance of evil for those that want to harp on that. Jesus is making bad choices in their mind. Like, you should not be talking with a person like this. But none of them had the nerve to ask. So then the woman leaves the jar back, runs to the village, tells everyone to come. Come see a man who told me everything I did. Now, he didn't really tell her everything that she did, but she drew enough conclusion by the fact that he knew how many husbands she had. Could this be the Messiah? Verse 30, so people came streaming from the village to see him. Meanwhile, the disciples were asking him to eat, on and on. They go through all this stuff. He's talking here. Verse 39, many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I did. When he came out to see them, they begged him to stay. So he stayed there for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. They said to the woman, now we believe not just because of what you said, because we know he's indeed the savior of the world. There's a lot there, but the thing that I find interesting is how many people will be in the kingdom of heaven because that one woman went and told the little bit that she knew. She was not a Bible scholar. She didn't go to Bible school. She didn't know crap about theology, really, because she had a theological question. Like, I don't even know where I'm supposed to worship. I don't know any of this stuff. And nobody was more unqualified to bring people to Jesus than she was. And yet, look how many people came to faith in Jesus Christ on the testimony of a woman of bad reputation going and saying, come and listen to this guy, and I think he's the Messiah. Mm -hmm. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. Verse 42 there in my book says, then they said to the woman, they meaning the villagers, fellow Samaritans of hers, they said, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know, because he had stayed, Jesus had stayed there a few days. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. My point to take in reading that, I'm looking another sign, another place where someone who isn't one of the chosen, in this case, the chosen people believes in Jesus. This woman does. And then, as you said, Judy, yes, she goes and tells the villagers, fellow Samaritans, and now they believe. Again, he couldn't get his own village his, where Jesus was born. He's not a prophet in his own village. You remember that line? And some of his own disciples had trouble getting it through their head. Peter probably didn't until after he denied him three times. Yeah. And these people are believing it. And then, without going into detail, John 
hits us with another supporting evidence for how people outside, you wouldn't think, and in a way where Jesus is preaching to the world, not just Jews, the next chapter or next section, subsection, not chapter, I'm sorry, 43 on there, Jesus heals the official son. Mm. All right. And the same thing, it's just people that get to believe him, that get to see him, a government official, a government official. I mean, it could have been anybody. I mean, in another book, it could have been one of the, the centurion. Yeah. But it could have been anybody, but it, anybody that isn't in the inner circle of Jesus, anybody that isn't believing in said that he's preaching to every day, that is one of the chosen people. And John is bringing that forward, right? based on what Judah just read with the Samaritan woman, then the official son, the same thing. These are <clears throat> non-believers or wouldn't be, you know, pure Jewish people. Mm. Now, some Samaritans were half Jew, but they weren't pure, 100% Jew, which mm. is why they were disdained and virtually hated by the elite Jew, let's say. So it's interesting that John points it out. What he chooses to put in his gospel versus the synoptic gospels, the other three writers of gospels, mm. without denigrating those gospels because they have their own things to say, but where John is focusing here in, I don't know, he's letting everybody know that, again, just like Paul in all the letters that we have read so far, Paul preached to who? The Gentiles, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He preached to the non-Jews, unlike Peter who just focused on Jews. Same thing here, John is saying, yeah, Jesus did the same thing. This is what Jesus is telling us, that everybody can be accepted. You have to do a couple of things, not a whole lot, but you can be accepted. There is no chosen people. Just really cool to, to think, within this little encounter the Samaritan woman had with Jesus, that within a few short minutes, she was radically transformed to run back to the village and for her to be running there, probably having a conversation with herself. What are they gonna think about me? I already have a bad reputation. Are they gonna listen? Mm. And instead, Jesus restored her identity that wasn't in how many people she was with or what she did in the past. It was completely restored within mm -hmm. a few short minutes. Mm -hmm. Again, like what Judah said, you know, the most unqualified person to spread the gospel, knowing nothing, not knowing where to sing, go to church, no Bible study. Mm -hmm. There was no social media. So how how the heck do you know this about me? It was just like, wow, within a short few minutes. And it really makes me think, because I'm trying to apply it now. Yeah. And if we all have a similar story to think that we're not good enough to, to receive Jesus' love and salvation. And then this Samaritan woman lived it out so perfectly within these few short minutes. I want right? to take that a step further because that's, that's very interesting, Lenny, about the woman going back and not having anything. She's been married a number of times. So the person she's with now isn't married. Jesus, as you're saying there, and we need to realize this in our own life, Jesus changes people's lives. That's what he does. He oh. changed this woman's life in a few minutes, and he used her, as we've talked about before, how God uses different people. He used Paul, who was killing Christians, persecuting them right. at least. Right. He uses people like that throughout the Bible. He uses this woman to transform a village, probably. Right. A Samaritan village. Right. Right. Just in a few minutes of talking to her. And that was radical, but we've got to go back. We've read the book there that we were doing when we were doing our men's study. Jesus is radical. Mm -hmm. As Judas said, he went out, without using that word, Judas said the same thing. He went out, met this woman at noon, asked her for some water, and she even says, you're not supposed to be talking to me. You're not right. I'm a Samaritan. Right. But Jesus 
is radical and he turns the world upside down right and we have clarity with that since the people at the samaritan people at verse 42 says then they said to the woman now we believe not just because you have told us but because we have heard from ourselves from him from ourselves for ourselves so that even right there there's more clarity more confirmation for the samaritan woman wow they see past everything that i've been through i wish that they documented that that's what's so cool about god's word that you could just ponder it hear from different perspectives and oh, then yeah. yeah it's beautiful that's just what only jesus can do <laughs> can do something like that you mm -hmm. know he knew what he was doing being there at noon he knows the culture he knows that most likely you're going to go there at the end of the day or the beginning of the day and he goes there at noon because he's expecting her to show up yeah it was an appointment yeah yeah oh yeah yeah, yeah. because just to reiterate, though, or expand on it a little bit, Jews, Jesus or otherwise, Jesus was a Jew. It was unusual that he should be in Samaria, first of all. An appointment? Probably. A destiny? Jesus and God's destiny that he meet up with this woman? Probably, because, and maybe that's why John is including this episode in here, because generally a Jewish man would not be in Samaria, if you're, you're reading the culture and what I know about it or what I've read about it, but just from what I'm reading in history and further it wouldn't have been normal for a man Jesus in this case to be talking to not only a Sumerian woman but an unknown woman it mm -hmm. just wasn't done back then right we look at this or I look at it and I say this was Jesus working and this is how he works in my life in your lives and I say to myself okay so you wanted to apply it to yourself Lenny I apply it to myself I'm, I'm praying to God Jesus every day please work in my life show me what you want me to do is this what you want me to do am I doing it right or is my screwing up every day or sinning is that part of this as I'm trying to repent try to get some relevancy out of it when I'm reading these things this is might be a little bit of a rabbit trail but I was watching Kitchen Nightmares with Gordon Ramsay and there was a family from the Middle East that were having a terrible time running their restaurant and it was Father, mother, seven kids, all boys, girls, all their kids were running this restaurant. Father couldn't take the bullet that all his kids didn't want to work for him. And when the daughters were speaking, he was just like, well, you're young and I'm supposed to take care of you, this and that. Like, no emotion, just very strict and I have to control this. Very, you know? And then when the first son, when he started to speak about how I don't want to be here anymore, I don't want to do this, he started to cry, he started to break down. And I started to realize more and more that unfortunately, still in today's world, I feel like men still don't give women a voice and Jesus very early kept trying to nip it in the bud that he gave this woman a voice and that her identity wasn't in what men put her value in take that even a step further there would not be women's rights and even so far as women's lib as we know it had it not been for Jesus yeah period yeah, yeah. because no culture yeah. No culture put women in an equal position as Jesus did. Right. And when he did it, same thing with kids. No culture really valued children until Jesus did. No culture valued the sick people, especially lepers, until right. Jesus did. How many battered women's shelters or orphanages or hospitals have been founded in the name of Jesus versus how many have been founded in any other name out there. There's very few secular hospitals, secular anything of that. In any of the secular hospitals 
or orphanages or anything that are there to this day. They're only there because they were copying what somebody had already done in the name of Jesus, right. but they didn't want to do it in his name. But they took the principles and they reapplied it in a secular context. And I guarantee you that you can track the freedom, the liberation of women. All of these things comes back to stories like this, where Jesus put a value on somebody that culture and society did not put value on. This was not something that men could have thought up on their own. And it was nothing that women had the authority in that culture. Even if they thought of it, they didn't have the authority to actually implement it on their own. But because they had an advocate being Jesus, then that was what opened the door for them. Now, even with the resurrection with Mary Magdalene. Yeah, first person to see the resurrected Savior. And if you're going to fabricate the story, that would have been the stupidest thing to do. They would have fabricated like, oh, Peter saw him first. Because in that day and age, a woman's testimony was not even admissible in court. There was another discussion about divorce. About a man could just like write a letter and divorce his wife. Nobody asked the wife's side of the story. He could have been horrible and abusive and whatever. Right, and he's like, right. well, you know what? Because you're not giving me what I want, I'm going to divorce you. And she could have been like, well, but you don't understand. My, We don't care your side of the story. The man signed it. You're done. That's why she has so many husbands. Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, like, come on. Never know. <laughs> I mean, come on. Yeah. Which even in that, to go through five divorces like that, that's got to do something to you. Of course. That says... I'm unworthy. She's bouncing around, probably in another relationship that's doomed to failure, probably feels worthless and below even the normal level of low in the society. Rejected, abused, hurt, ashamed, and yet Jesus comes and uses her as essentially one of his first missionaries. Anything else stand out to anybody? Yeah, going back to what you had read before, verse 21 down to 24. Oh, this part here where she first asked where to worship. Yeah, and that's the question. I'm glad you said that, Ben. Focus. Jesus is like, yeah. it doesn't matter. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And that's what I want to focus on. You're right on. That's what I'm getting at. Judah read it. I'm sitting here and I said, all of a sudden it hit me in the head. And I thought about edifices before I read this here in churches mm. and what they look like. And I, I've seen some beautiful churches throughout the world as I've traveled. And I'm going, okay, it's an edifice. It's beautiful but this tells me that doesn't matter. Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him. For salvation comes to the Jews, he points out, giving her a little lesson. The time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. You won't need an edifice necessarily. The Father is looking for those who will worship him in that way, in spirit and truth, that is. Verse 24, for God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. It has nothing to do with we're on the mountain, we're in Jerusalem, we're looking toward Mecca, we're in this beautiful church. It doesn't matter. It's in spirit and truth. And if we look at our churches, no matter what church it is, what's the purpose to me? The purpose is to cultivate worshipers, to worship God, to do what God is saying here. And Jesus is talking and he's God. He's the son. He's saying, this is what you need to do. It won't matter where you're doing it. It's certainly okay to go to church, as the church's main job to me is to cultivate worshipers, people that will worship God and worship Him this way, the way He wants to be worshipped. Worship spirit how? In truth. Spirit and truth. In spirit and truth. Which is two sides of a scale, if you think about it. 
because there's a lot of people that worship in spirit, but they don't want to have anything to do with the truth. And then there's other people that want to worship in truth, but they have nothing of the spirit. And it's this balance between the two. And you can see this even in churches. You can see this in the world as we know it. Well, I just worship by communing in nature. And I just do what feels good. And well, you know, th this is what, you know, God is to me. And it's this self-centered, spiritualized thing that has no basis in what? In truth. And there's a lot of people that want to worship God in that way. There's a lot of people that come and they want a spiritual experience. They want this experience of elation or they want this experience where they sense the presence of God. But if there's no truth, then they're only getting half of the picture here. And then on the other side, you got the truth, which in this case, these days, I mean, perhaps the Jews were thinking, hey, we're worshiping in truth because we've got the Torah and we've got the written words that tell us how to, to worship. And even in our day and age, there's people that are like, well, I'm just going to worship based on the truth, but there is no real spiritual connection. There is no real passion and no love. And I think that even in those two words, which Jesus re-emphasizes a couple of times there, he doesn't say there's a time where true worshipers will worship in truth. And he doesn't say there's a time they'll worship in spirit, but he balances the spirit and truth, spirit and truth, and that we need to balance these two things and even probe ourselves like when i'm worshiping god am i leaning towards one way or the other am i leaning more towards the spirit but maybe at the disregard of truth or am i leaning more towards the truth with the disregard of the spirit jesus's goal for us that it doesn't matter where you worship as long as you're doing it with the right spirit worshiping the correct spirit but you're also doing it truthful in alignment with God's word. Yeah, I'm going to take off on what you just said there. I say to you, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I look at you and I say, how do I do that? How do I get to the Father through Jesus Christ? What do I do? What would you say to them? Well, I think it depends on where they are in their spiritual journey. Let's just assume that they're far from God. That they're, they've not made any hmm. commitment. They're just like the normal person out, out in the world. Yeah. They say, well, the first step is you need to decide to follow Jesus. Scripture says that anyone who calls on his name will be saved. Romans 9 and 10 says that if we believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, then we are saved, right? And that's the first step. That's the step of when we confess our sin, we repent of our sin, we accept the free gift of eternal life. Like that's kind of step one. And then from that point on, now we've, we've received forgiveness, but now it's up to us to live the life of a disciple to live the life of a follower of Jesus. See, Jesus says, I am the way. If he says, I am the way, it's like I just went on a trip to Colorado with some other pastors and we were hanging out in the mountains of Colorado. When we got there, it was funny because it was a bunch of us, we didn't know each other. We didn't even really know the, the person who was hosting this thing. It was kind of like we were all flying blind there. And we didn't know what town this cabin was in. We didn't know how far the cabin was. All we knew was one thing. There will be a white van waiting for you at the airport. So what was the way? What was the way for me to get to this cabin? The way for me to get to the cabin was not a route on a map. It was the van, right? The one instruction yeah. they gave so, so the one instruction they said is, come find the white van at this door and get in the van and we will take care of everything else. Right. And I'm like, okay, this is super sketchy. And it was a great time. But like they controlled the whole journey. I'm sure you've been on trips before where maybe you've got a tour guide of some sort. And it's like, you don't have to worry about which road to take, if a road's closed, if a bridge is out. My way is the tour guide. But if I don't stay close to the tour guide, I'm quick. hopelessly lost, yeah. right? I'm even more lost than I can even imagine because I don't even know. My way is the tour guide. And so Jesus is saying, I am the way. 
You can't get there on your own. You don't know how. You don't know how. But I'm sending a way, and that way is Jesus. So what does that mean for us? That we stay as close to Jesus as we can. That we pattern our lives after him. That we get into his word and we read and study and, and explore what, what Jesus has for us. We stay as close to Jesus as we possibly can, following him, not a particular path that's m mapped out on a road, but that we're following Jesus and him then therefore is our way. And a lot of people say, well, that's too exclusive. There's many ways to God. All religions are essentially the same. Like how can they all be essentially the same, right? Because some religions say after life, you just go back to the dust. And some religions say after life, you become reincarnated. And then some belief systems like Christianity says after death, we spend eternity with God or eternity separate. Like can all of those be right? No, clearly not. They aren't all right. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me, which again, just begs the question of, is he telling the truth or not? Yeah. And if he's not telling the truth, then why does every world religion make room for him and call him a great prophet? They're not gonna call a bold-faced liar a great prophet. Mm. So, and the fact that every world religion, every major world religion, even religions that predate Jesus, I think like Confucianism or something like that, it like predates it. And yet Jesus comes along and they open up a little spot and say, well, we're going to include him in our list of good prophets as well. How can he be a good prophet when he says he's the only way? Like C.S. Lewis, that's his famous argument. It's like he's either a lunatic saying that he's the same as God, which I've talked to people like that before <laughs> that thought they're God, or he's a liar, or he's telling the truth. And if he's telling the truth, then that has some pretty severe consequences to how we live our life. So I don't know if that answered your question or well, not. Well, yeah, I like and I like the analogy. Yeah, here's what I get out of it. I'm going to keep Jesus close to me and uh, Jesus is my tour guide to God. Yeah. Basically. Yeah, yeah, basically. And that's why our goal is to pattern our lives after Jesus. You know, this is what Paul said. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Christ yeah. We should all be tour guides. Exactly. That, that's, what the, that's what the woman at the well was, right? Exactly. Yeah. You're right, Ben. You say that maybe a little bit facetiously, but you're right because we've talked about it in here before. Jesus told us, basically saying, I'm not going to be here and I couldn't do it all. I need you to do it. So he sent us out to do that. So we are all tour guides, tour guides for other people to God, to Jesus, to get to God. Absolutely. You're right on with that. I mean, he, what did he say to his disciples when he called them? What did he say to them? Come follow me. That's all he said. You know, even here, if you go back to chapter 1, verse 35, we talked about this a little bit before. The following day, John the Baptist was standing with his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, look, there's the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed him. We think one of these might have been Andrew. Jesus looked around and saw them following, and he said, what do you want? They replied, Rabbi, where are you staying? What does he say? Come, Come and see. see. Come and see. That's all he says. He's not saying, oh, here's the map. Go study the Torah more. No, he, you know? he doesn't say a whole lot. Matthew or Levi was sitting at his tax collector booth, and what did he say to him? He, said, he just said, follow me. Matthew gets up and follows him. Yep. Levi, at that time, gets up and follows him. And so, going back to what you said, Ben, half-heartedly, maybe at first, but Jesus was a tour guide. He didn't tell them where to go. It's similar to Judah's trip just recently, where he was supposed to go to get on this white van. Jesus just says, follow me, or come follow me, and boom. And they follow him without any question, and he's giving them that tour. He's taking them to where they need to be, where they wanted to be. They just didn't know how to get there. So yeah, is he a tour guide? Yeah, it's a lot of analogy. Well, you know, the thing is, we're also not to this part of the story yet, but when we talk about Jesus being the tour guide, and he is, there's another who's sent to be with us, to be our comforter, to be our guide, and that's the Holy Spirit who is with us 
continually. Mm. And the Holy Spirit is doing what? Holy Spirit is pointing us to Jesus. And Jesus is the one that's bringing us the way to God. So all of this kind of like pulls together in this, you know, beautiful path that God has set out for us to follow Jesus, to live as he wants us to. And it seems exclusive to many people and yet it's not because it's the most inclusive invitation in the world as we just saw with this Samaritan woman who was rejected by all and yet Jesus included her. He said, well, it's so it's not exclusive. It's not exclusive. It's factually limiting in the sense that there's only one way. You can argue that all you want to, but it's a one way that anybody can go on. It's not one way that says, well, if you weren't born on this right piece of dirt, you're now excluded or you're excluded if you don't you know dress a certain way or you're excluded if your skin color is a different color or you're excluded if fill in the blank as most world religions have so many exclusions in fact many of them don't even bother trying to convert and jesus's invitation is to everyone my cousin he converted to me he's a rabbi now mm. but when he was converting to judaism he told me that he got rejected three times he had to take a test and learn all this stuff and he got rejected three times and he mm. And the fourth time he finally got in and he said uh well i'm glad i finally got in he felt bad because it took him so many times he said oh no we reject everybody three times <laughs> no matter how good you did yeah i want to make sure you really want it yeah i always got told choose they don't want any new people if you're not in you're not in well it's like i mean i read that about buddhists like a lot of buddhists they're like you can't really convert but you can practice it if you want you're not going to be a real Buddhist, but you can practice it. You can practice mindfulness. You can practice all these aspects of it. You're probably not going to be a real Buddhist. <laughs> Keep doing whatever you're doing and just add a little bit of Buddhism on the side or whatever. Okay, that's kind of weird advice, yeah. you know? Imagine if we were like this. Well, yeah, we'd always reject everybody three times. Yeah, Jesus <laughs> is like that. Nah, no, we don't want you. <laughs> well, this guy that I met a couple weeks ago, and he wanted to meet with me because he started coming to the church. He's just like, I want to know, does God and does this church even want me? I'm like, absolutely. Absolutely we do. He's like, well, but you don't know my past. I'm like, I don't care about your past, man. Like, we want you. He's like, well, I got tattoos. I'm like, like, we got tattoo artists, man. Come on. Of course we want you. He's like, well, the reason I asked is the last place I went to several years back when I felt like I needed to get my life on track, I went to church. And the very first week I was there, the pastor started lecturing me on why I shouldn't have tattoos. I'm like, well, we want you. That stuff just gets me riled up. Yeah. We have a guy at our church. His Twitter handle is pastor with tattoos. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, anyhow, let's wrap this up. You know, we've been in John 1 through 5 for the last couple weeks now. I'd say it's time to move on. Let's go to chapter 6 now, moving to some uncharted territory. We'll read Ooh. chapter 6 through 10, and we'll read that six times, something like that, five, six, six times. Yeah, five, six times. We'll read that, and then we'll come back and we'll discuss this. Got a lot of great stuff in here. Including food. Including food, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Jesus <laughs> feeding the 5,000, woman caught in adultery. We got more miracles, all kinds of great things. Miracles and signs. Remember, no parables. No parables. Yeah, you know, yeah, I never noticed that. Yeah. I told you that yeah. a couple weeks ago. You said no parables in John. Yeah, that's Unless interesting. Unless you guys find one, let me know. There are no parables in John. Yeah, I'm going to be looking, but yeah, I never noticed that. You know, and it's funny, things like that, because it's like you study scripture your entire life, and yet there's still so many things that oh my goodness, you, you're just I know. like clueless about. Time I read this so much, just before we close, John being a little bit different. Yep. He includes no parables. That's not his thing. Yep. Yeah, interesting. But you've got plenty of miracles in there. Yeah. That's going to be good. So yeah, so let's dig in. John 6 to 10. Well, we hope that you enjoyed our discussion today on the Thriving in the Word podcast. We invite you to leave a 
rating or a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. Also consider sharing it on social media. We can't wait to be back together with you at the Thriving in the Word podcast.